0: A start on demand. On-, on demand. Turns out we here at The Start, at least a couple of us, are wimps. As we deal with another dose of winter, we lament how poor of shape we're in after shoveling some snow, and prepare to shovel more snow. More and more young people are vaping, even if they've never smoked a cigarette. Health Canada wants to take steps to try to curb that before it becomes an epidemic. Ever sent a text you wish you could unsend? Well, Facebook has a new unsend feature on Messenger that could save you from yourself. And Liam Neeson faces the music as fans around the world are angry and upset over comments he made that many have deemed racist. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, February 6th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this Wednesday morning. And, Greg, I got to tell you, yesterday I had to go help out my dad. Smash Gordon uh, called me in to help him do some shoveling. Okay. I shoveled the parking pad behind his garage. And uh, I, I heard you, I felt like your boy. And I, I was picturing you yelling at me, Keep shoveling! Come on, you wimp! Don't stop. I have not had to—I lived in an apartment for five years. I haven't really had to shovel snow other than the occasional massive snow dump where my car was snowed in. But uh, I was out there for maybe an hour 15, and by the end, I was just, like, shaking. I was so tired.
1: Well, it's why they warn—like, every time I'm out shoveling, I just think about all the warnings they give to people about heart attacks. Because, like, your heart rate really just— escalates and your arms are sore. And then I've woken up the next day and felt like I have been in a marathon like just from shoveling for 17 minutes. Like, it's physical. Clearly I'm out of shape. 17 <laughs> minutes. I'm just throwing that number out there.
2: I'm saying very... I think he had a stopwatch on I'm it myself. a very minimal amount of shoveling can lead to a lot of pain. Well, and I had that thought again. I think I confessed a couple of weeks ago I had a concern about shoveling in the middle of the night mm-hmm. before coming to work and going, geez, if I, you know, If I collapsed here, I'd be there for a long time Mm -hmm. before Before anyone found me. So I apologize for being in your head yesterday. Maybe it was motivational. It was. Well, I'm glad, but you know, I I hope I didn't push you to the brink (laughs) of any sort of health crisis. He wanted to make you
1: proud. That's how I read that. That's
2: very, very kind of you. But I have my grandfather living on my shoulder all the time when I'm building stuff, and I know how that feels. So... I do apologize.
0: Oh, no, there's no apology and nothing to apologize for, first of all. Second, I did not go hard. I was, my dad's got this big monster scoop because I used to be, I used to be stubborn and I would just use this little, the little throw shovel and I would do the entire back parking pad, and I would just scoop, 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 shovel, shovel, and because I wanted the workout, but because I haven't done it in a long time, right. I didn't want to push it, because I'm getting, you know, I'm at 41 now, and so there are simple things, like I lifted a box the other day, and I wrenched my back. And I thought that wouldn't have happened when I was 20. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was a bit more caring. I
1: In the parking lot this morning, Brett and I arrived at the same time. And I got out of the car and groaned like I was 97. I was like, oh, my bones. Like I just from sitting. <laughs> I You'll, should stop talking this morning. I can't <laughs> I can't shovel for more than five minutes. And sitting in the car you're is short, you're taxing me. You're short changing me. yourself
2: at 17 minutes. <laughs> and welcome to old age. There will come a point where you will make that groan every time you get up from a sitting position and on your way down to okay. a sitting position Good to know. and every time you tie your shoes and several other things that were mundane and repetitive and very easy to do once upon a time will become a chore yeah
0: sometimes the, the noises i make I, I, I feel like like a pregnant rhinoceros or something it's just <laughs> bending over to
2: put the shoe on <gasps> Yeah, I was thinking about uh, my kids want me to go to their ski day coming up at the end of February. Uh, It's actually March 1st, and I was trying to think back to the last time I went downhill skiing and how difficult it was to put on my ski boots. I have these ski racing boots. You can kind of lock yourself into them. They're difficult to... To hook up at the best of time, I don't think I could do it now. I think I would actually, you know how I ki- tie my kids' skates? Mm-hmm. They would have to lock me into my ski boots. They'd have to do it for me. Really? I wouldn't be able to do it myself. I got to be
1: honest. I, on many occasions, have gotten someone else to do it my boots. Yeah? Or my skates. Okay, good. I don't yeah. feel quite That's so bad not now. It's, it's not like a tiredness strength. It's just I'm not strong enough to, like, get things
2: tight. Oh, there was nothing like the way your dad would tie your skates. My dad would get in there and he would kind of go back and forth with the laces and they would get super tight. the back and forth. The back and forth. Yes. And my kids, my kids like, dad, uh, my foot's in there, you know, because I I try (laughs) to get them super tight and I have to back off a little bit. I get a little bit too intense on the tying of the skates. But yeah, I remember my dad with the back and forth and trying to hold his... Trying to hold a scarf with its chin while he's tying my teeth and <laughs> the, the whole thing, man.
1: That's a good rendition. That's true. That's the way it goes. Yeah,
2: that's how it went. So we
0: talk shoveling, of course, because we either, there's more snow in the ground. And so
1: way more than I thought. Like when I pulled out of the garage this morning, I was thinking like a nice dusting, but it was several centimeters. You
2: gotta feel bad. For the city workers, for the contractors, everybody that's out there, we were, were were moaning about how poor the job was maybe in some parts of the city yesterday. St. James Street, I'm on my way out of here. I followed a whole trail of graders. They're getting the snow. And they're getting it. And you can hear that. Like you can actually hear the equipment doing the work, trying to get that snow completely off the ice, right down to the concrete. Here we are today, and now I, I think I feel sorry for them.
0: Yeah, and, and and on one hand, the city is probably beating their head against the wall, but the contractors, we've heard them describe it, this kind of thing, <laughs> to us on this radio station as white gold falling from the sky. Mm, fair enough. So there is a catch-22, but yeah, it's, they just got the, the, the scraping done, and now here we go, here's another five centimeters or so. Looks like it's still falling out. Yeah, I can see it coming down in the shadow of the light.
2: Outside Polo Park. We're getting called out on text message here. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, my God. I so enjoy listening to you three. But come on! You're a bunch of wimps! My mother, who is turning 90 this September still, shovels her 70-foot driveway. Is she available this
3: afternoon? <laughs> is she
1: for hire? I'll <laughs> Come pick
2: her up!
0: want to talk about vaping right now. The headline at globalnews.ca, Health Canada moving to restrict vape advertisements to youth, and they are indeed trying to crack down on what's being called by many as a concerning rise of vaping amongst youth. Ottawa is proposing stricter rules on e-cigarette ads, and this has reignited the debate over vaping. Is it a cessation device for smokers, or are new high nicotine products merely offered smokers another device global's mike drolet actually took a look at this a few months back on the meteoric rise of vaping specifically one device and the way that it is being cleverly marketed customers man.
4: it's the best ad a vape company could ever hope to get its customers many of them teenagers posting all over social media how cool they feel when they vape and it works the american fda is calling it an epidemic it's vaping. And just as its youth are getting hooked, Canadian teens are catching up.
2: It's growing, and it's growing to be a culture, and it's growing to be a, um, a, a cool
4: thing to do now is Juul and vape. In a statement, industry leader Juul says its products are for adult smokers. No minor or non-nicotine user should ever try Juul. With flavored nicotine pods newly legal on the Canadian market, there are no official stats on usage yet, but it's undeniably a hot trend. Cameron Prozik, who is working to educate his fellow teens about the dangers of vaping, says buying vapes is a breeze.
2: Oh, it's super easy. Everyone has, you know, either a friend that's over 18 and they ask them or um, everyone knows a guy who has a bunch of vapes at home and will sell you one for 50 bucks.
4: The concern is that the new, more addictive vaping pens aren't helping smokers quit. They're creating a new generation of nicotine addicts. One pod that can be smoked in a day has the nicotine equivalent of 20 cigarettes. The Canadian Cancer Society tried to raise the alarm, but says its recommendation to cap nicotine levels was flatly ignored.
5: It took us decades to learn lessons from tobacco, but we have to remember those lessons.
4: The government does limit marketing, but walk into any gas station and the displays are front and centre. Some stores even put ads on top of the candy rack. And the flavour names only reinforce that same youthful spirit – Gypsy Tantrum, Pinky, Unicorn Horn, and Strawberry Lemonade, to name a few.
0: What are you going to say to a kid? Oh, you shouldn't be attracted to cotton candy, you shouldn't be attracted to,
6: uh, you know, peanut butter and jam flavor, or you can just remove those flavors.
0: Faced with
4: growing criticism, the vaping industry, which includes many of the same players as Big Tobacco, is pointing the finger elsewhere.
0: There are people who are marketing to children, and you
7: know who that is? It's the news, because if a child hears that all the other children, uh, on the news constantly, the older older children are using Juul and that it's forbidden, what do you you think is going to happen?
4: The tobacco industry also says vaping is 95% safer than smoking. But critics argue that number is just a guess, and that we
0: may not know the full impacts of regular vaping for decades. Mike Trillet, Global News Toronto Now full disclosure I am a vapor I quit smoking back in I guess it was 2016 for like 14 or 16 months fell off the wagon earlier in 2018 and uh, I got back on vaping and i would been about close to 3 months now without a cigarette so I I do have uh, passionate thoughts on this but uh, I will say that until I watched this story from Mike Drolay, and if you want to see the story, we have a link to it on our 680 CJOB Instagram. I hadn't really paid attention. But you walk in any gas station and you see the vape sitting on the counter, mm-hmm. and uh, while I understand they're a business and they want to make money, and if it's legal to advertise the product, of course you're okay, going to, yeah. But I don't have a problem with regu- we're regulating that because this stuff should not be advertised to children. For two reasons. One, you don't want kids getting hooked on nicotine. Two, I don't want them to take away my flavors. I don't want them to take away the flavors <laughs> yeah. because that stuff helps me not smoke. Right, right, right. So right. You're,
1: you're coming at it from a different perspective. Like there's a the whole idea of someone just starting it to begin with. Yeah. For you, it's been positive because it's brought you out of cigarettes into vaping, less hopeful, harmful effects. Yeah, in exactly. In theory. But you don't want anyone to enter into that world, right? And no. And so it's a, it's a whole... Hold hold two different perspectives.
2: I know we're going to hear more from the Canadian Cancer Society at 745, but I was shocked. I can't remember if I shared this on the air or off the air the other day, but I'll share it again. Uh, Someone who I deeply care about and someone who's been a friend of mine for five years, never known to have a cigarette, caught them. I won't even identify them by gender, uh, taking a haul on one of these things as a means of controlling their appetite. They've added this device as the part of their dieting ritual. So I, I was a bit absolutely bit snacking sh- vape? Yes. I was shocked. Was it huh. a vape or was Shock. it that uh, tobacco thing? Yeah, it was that little pen. Okay. Mm. That little pen. And some of our listeners may be saying, don't you guys advertise that on your website? We have had the video advertisements on our globalnews.ca. So I don't want to sound holier than thou when it comes to mm-hmm. advertising these things because we have had it on our website and it, it bothers me that oh. we have it. So. New restrictions could soon be coming to vaping products and e-cigarettes,
0: with Health Canada proposing new regulations that would restrict advertisements on vaping products in places where youth might see it. Ron Cunningham is with the Canadian Cancer Society and says, while overall smoking rates have dropped, vaping is on the rise, but particularly amongst teens, and says advertisement restrictions are necessary.
5: It's necessary because we've seen uh, Canada-wide a very significant increase in youth vaping, For example, by the 2016-17 school year, uh, among grade 10 to 12 students, it was 15% Canada-wide compared to 10% for smoking. And that 15% was up compared to two years ago at 9%. And in in a large number of cases, these are kids that have never smoked or would otherwise never smoke. And in the second half of 2018, we saw some tobacco companies start to market cigarettes in Canada to advertise on television, widespread advertising that we hadn't previously seen and we have data from 2018 that there's a further significant increase in the U S there's a, you know, also a this increase that's, you know, huge, that the U.S. Certain journalists described as an epidemic.
0: Rob Cunningham with the Canadian Cancer Society on the news yesterday with Richard Cloutier and Tristan Field-Jones. So right now, Health Canada is proposing a ban on advertisements in stores where teens can shop, so places like convenience stores, grocery stores, gas stations, etc. It also says ads should be removed from public places like malls and bus stops and that an ads for vaping products wouldn't be allowed within a 30-minute window of any television Or radio show. How would that work?
1: Yeah, so they're saying that if it's a kids program or a program that would be watched by youth, then within 30 minutes there can't be an advertisement. We were talking earlier about whether we actually see that many vaping ads online for sure. I've seen them, but I'm not so sure about where they fall in TV. But Cunningham, who's again with the Canadian Cancer Society, says restrictions using that 30-minute window really doesn't go far enough.
5: What about the Super Bowl? Uh, A lot of youth watch that. Is that a youth-oriented program or NHL hockey? Uh, our recommendation is for a total ban on TV and radio advertising. Um, if we go back to 1972. Then even the tobacco companies voluntarily took ads off TV and radio. And we can at least do that now. It's one thing to have e-cigarettes available, but that doesn't mean they have to be widely advertised in a way that, that kids are seeing these um, you know, or that ex-smokers who are struggling with cravings, you know, people who have quit altogether are seeing these. If we just look at the advertising, for example, for cannabis and medical cannabis, uh, you don't see advertising on TV or in all these, you know, billboards and so on. And we can do that, uh, you know, in part to protect youth, but for public health reasons. Uh, we can also do that for e-cigarettes.
0: Now, we've got a great text message at 204 on the subject of vaping.
2: Yeah, extolling the same sentiments as uh, Rob Cunningham. Vaping should be treated the same as tobacco, out of sight. Gas stations, convenience Stores should not have it displayed out front and they should not be allowed to have cannabis paraphernalia out with it. I'm no advocate to each their own, but I know my son, who never touched a cigarette in his life, is now vaping and is addicted to it. It's so true about not knowing the effects uh, and causes. It's too new and who knows if in 20 to uh, 10 to 20 years of long-term use, what damage that could do to your lungs and or throat.
1: The whole lack of not seeing smoke, not smelling the smoke, even not, and then the fact that it smells good for the most part, like I've walked into people who are vaping and thought that smells nice. And so that that whole thing is playing into the mentality of it not being as harmful as well, I think.
0: Yeah, and as someone who vapes, I would always recommend against it if you the only reason you should ever start vaping is if you can't quit smoking. If you smoke and you've tried to quit and you can't, then give vaping a shot. But if you do not vape or you do not smoke, don't try it because you don't need... Like, nicotine is super addictive. So just keep it out of your life. If you've Like, I've never done hard narcotics, and I'm going to keep it that way because I know that if I ever try something like heroin or meth, that's the end of my life. No,
1: I, I'm, not, I'm only laughing because it sounds insane to say that's the leap to heroin, like from cigarettes to heroin, but it's all about that feeling that you get, right? And so you know even with an addiction to nicotine yeah. where that can lead you.
0: Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Forte is behind the glass, Cameron Poitras is here, and the headline at globalnews.ca, regret sending that Facebook message? Now you can delete it. And I guarantee that uh, I could have deleted many messages I've sent over the years and been much and slept much happier. I guess not slept better, but certainly when I woke up the next day, and (laughs) your stomach may not have appeared. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, because I can't tell you. There was a stretch there for a while where it was like a routine on Saturday. I would uh, would have I would enjoy myself, shall we say? And then (laughs) Sunday, I would wake up and go. I don't remember what I did on my phone last night. And then I'd panic and I'd jump out of bed and I would like be so, I'd have my phone in my hand and I'd be shaking because I don't, uh, do I want to look at what I did? <laughs> and sometimes there'd be nothing.
2: And then other times be, I'd think, ah. Oh. Now there is a time limit on this. If you wake up the next morning, you're you're, you're, you're SOL, SOL, you got 10 minutes on this.
1: That's an interesting window. Why wouldn't it just, what is the idea behind saying you only have 10 minutes to delete that message rather than just you could delete it at any time?
0: Do you think it could be that?
1: technology-wise, Chances they can't are, do in it?
0: ten minutes, the person you sent this message to would have seen it
2: already. Right. Mm, I would could think. Be. I would think. Maybe, maybe they could alter. Uh, you know what? We're talking about technicalities here and and uh, stuff that we know nothing about. What about the idea of recalling it? And there must have been at some point in your life where technology and your stupidity combined to let you down. Yeah, probably. Uh, for me, it probably sounds a lot like uh, Brett there too as well. <laughs> it's kind of the same sort of feeling. But I think it's said on the thing it said uh that it's it sends a message to everybody saying that you deleted a message so on facebook
1: the facebook yeah one I, th- I
2: think it does say that and then so if if you you might be just better off just leaving it if it's going to send then everyone's gonna be like well what did you delete what did you say well it
1: depends you if you're deleted. on a group chat or an yeah. individual like if i send just you a message and i delete that message then you're the only one that knows if there was a group Messaging going on, yeah. Then it says Lorraine deleted this message. Yeah. Then everyone's gonna be like, did anyone anyone read that first before she deleted it? What did she say? Like, <laughs>
8: well, yeah, I might be you might be better off just leaving it then,
1: because that's the case. Uh, you know, we we've had situations here where someone in the company or elsewhere will send out a, a message and then recall it, and you can still see the message. Yes. And ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it's innocuous. They just didn't mean to send it to everybody, right? Or it was had a typo probably or something that they wanted to correct.
2: You see, I've like, I've done that before, especially with text messages. I will accidentally send a text message to the wrong person. It'll be totally inappropriate text message, and I'll send it to a female when it's meant for a male and It just looks so bad. I go, "Oh my God, but then I go, "Oh, wait a minute, She seen me do a lot worse than send that message <laughs>
1: I had uh my husband had his phone switch at work a few years ago, and I failed to delete the other number, like his old number and I had his new number in there, but every once in a while, I would send messages to this whoever it is that's not my husband. And every once in a while, there'd be one's like, he wouldn't, this other person wouldn't respond, but they'd be like, yeah, like I'm not going to be home tonight. Stop texting me. We are not having date night as I put it. Or like, Sorry, sorry, wrong number. And they, delete me from your phone. And I was like, yes, sorry, like, and then
2: I'd forget. And uh. we get the odd one like that on our text machine here. Oh yeah, at seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. That's clearly meant for somebody else, and it comes in, and they're either they're a digit off, or they've just accidentally sent us a text message. So oh, I remember uh, one time somebody sent us their uh, credit card information. Oh my goodness! Oh my oh, wow. really? Yeah, well, I believe it was during your show uh, when you guys were in the afternoon. Actually, oh boy, I, maybe I remember that now. So uh, for me, it was more voicemail stuff, right? Because I'm older, and so I've you know started behaving in my older age. But when I was younger, I can remember one time in particular, and there was no alcohol involved. My brother and I were were working on a, on what we hoped to be a business deal. And we phoned this gentleman in California. We were in his voicemail and we kind of screwed up the message that we left. And I knew a little bit, almost too much about voicemail, just enough to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I think if you press pound, you can re-record or you can find out this. And the whole time it's recording our whole thing. And (laughs) and so we sent this gentleman an email initiating contact in about three minutes after we hung down on the voicemail message. Yeah, we won't won't be pursuing this opportunity. (laughs) We got an email from this guy (laughs) because he clearly heard our voicemail and decided that it'd be a good idea for him not to be in business with these two clowns that couldn't even operate a voicemail.
1: What I wish Facebook had was a rule, and it's the same, Jeff, you mentioned you sometimes text the wrong person. So, you know, if you go to send an email, I often won't put the name in the subject line until I've composed the email, and then I will put the person who I wanted to send it to because Sometimes it's about a situation or a person, and I'm going to use say a hypothetical, say like a work example, and you're, and this has happened a few years ago, and you wanted to be like, we have to fix this situation with this person, but you put that person's name in the email, and then it goes off to them, and you're like, well, now they know there's a situation, but that was supposed to go to someone On purpose, else. by accident? No, No. on accident. (laughs) Yeah, McNabb,
0: Facebook, we discussed it this morning. They have introduced a new feature for Facebook Messenger, UnSend.
1: Yeah, the headline at globalnews.ca is, regret sending that Facebook message? Well, now you can delete it. It's a new feature that they promised internet users, I think, for a few years now, and it's available, Brett, we've tested it this morning on the group chat. So if you send a message... On a chat with somebody, you can, you have 10 minutes to delete it. And you tried it out this morning, correct? Yeah, that's
0: yeah. right. And it doesn't even have to be a group chat. If it's just, if I send you a message on Facebook, just you, you can still remove it. Um, you can either remove it just for yourself or you can remove it for you and the person on the other end. Uh-huh. But. They get a, a receipt so to speak that says Brett has deleted a message
1: right so the recipients will see, receive a text alert telling them so you get a message back saying your friend just deleted this message so that's a curious part of it too but it raises all sorts of questions I think about what we're putting out in this digital digital age and so to, to discuss that a little bit more we're joined by Amy Morrison who's a new media professor with the University of Waterloo good morning Amy Good morning. What's your response when you hear that they've they've finally done this good? Or does it say more about what we are doing as users when it comes to our responsibility on social media?
3: Well, I think the implications here are a little bit um, broader than just individual users with, like, messy thumbs that said the wrong thing to the wrong group chat. I mean, I think we've all inadvertently done that, right? You you see the first name in the list and you're like, oh, that's where I want to reply. But it, you know, turns out you sent it to 10 people instead of before that you were aiming for. I mean, a lot of this kind of mistakes are are inadvertent. And then it would have to be because, you know, normally if you're, you know, saying rude things to people and sort of launching off messages in anger, it takes you more than 10 minutes to begin to regret that, right? So this is a very short-term window that allows people to Erase some of their messages. And of course, this is in response to um, a secret feature of Facebook that only executives had um, access to. And that was a much more long term removal of communications by Facebook executives from other people's own chat logs. Right. And that's not what they're offering to users here which I think is interesting.
2: Amy, expand on that a little bit more. This is the first time I'm hearing of this. This is the executives within Facebook itself had this extra feature.
3: Yeah, that's right. So in in response to, you may remember, the, the big 2014 um, Sony email hack where a lot of personal communications among executives and stars in that company related to salary negotiations or or various types of contracts were leaked and it was very embarrassing for everyone. And around that time, um, some users um, who knew Mark Zuckerberg in a professional context were noticing that their Facebook Messenger chats with him looked like monologues where they were talking to themselves because all of Mark's communications had been removed. Right. And so this was really interesting to consider that You know, you download a piece of software and you engage in chatting with people and the the messages come to you and they belong on your phone. And one day you open up your phone and, and the record of that conversation is entirely gone. It's been removed by Facebook centrally, taken right off your phone and about Um, everywhere else too so people were very intrigued by this feature raised a lot of questions around um, data privacy and data retention um, and about secret features that other people didn't have access to and so what we're seeing Facebook releasing today is really kind of a Uh, a low-grade, not very useful, actually, response uh, to consumer demand for the much more powerful tools um, that Facebook's executive team has to kind of erase their own Internet histories um, in ways, of course, that Facebook will not let (laughs) users
2: do. Wow. Magnifies that whole... that magnifies that whole perception that, that Facebook is the, indeed the great and wonderful Oz behind the scene and, and and has so many more powers than we even maybe realized.
3: Uh, yeah, and I think we should be concerned about this because at the same time, Facebook is indicating now that it's it's really looking to um, merge Messenger and Instagram and WhatsApp into sort of one giant Facebook ecosystem, informational ecosystem, right? So you'll recall that WhatsApp and um, Instagram were um, separate companies that were bought up by Facebook and then continue to run as like a little bit integrated, but largely independent services. And so Facebook is looking more and more like a monopoly communications company that's trying to attach all of these services to each other. And when we compare that kind of like combination and accumulation of data by Facebook, with the, the tools that they also have to kind of go into your own chat logs and remove communications from it, right? It's starting to look like a lot more serious than... Then maybe us talking about, like, oops, I, you know, I, I auto-corrected to a swear word. And thank goodness, Facebook has given me the ability for 10 minutes to erase that message, even though they're going to keep it in case it gets subpoenaed.
0: right? Amy Morrison is a new media professor at the University of Waterloo, talking about the new Facebook feature, you can unsend a message on Messenger. Thank you so much for the time, Amy. Much appreciated.
1: Oh,
3: you're very welcome.
0: Have a good day. And-
1: Fascinating. I was thinking of the good side of, like, okay, good, now I can delete the things Uh, I'm saying I never stopped to think about, well, what's the bigger picture there for Facebook and controlling the message, whitewashing the message, keeping things for subpoena. Like, wow.
2: I hate Facebook even more after that.
0: (laughs) How is your temper when you go to the hockey rink, Lauren?
1: It's pretty good. Like, I'm pretty I'm very mindful of what can happen, and I, you know, my brothers played hockey, I played hockey, so I grew up around it, and I've seen some really bad behavior, and so I'm always mindful of not encouraging and and trying my hardest to only say encouraging words, like, good stuff or, well, be careful, or, you know, like, watch those corners, but I, I, I do not yell at the refs, and I wouldn't, I hope I will never yell at another kid, let alone my own. The right? fact that
2: you, you, like, that you have to be so conscientious about it, that I I get that big time. OPP, they're uh, cautioning uh, folks. Parents need to use some more common sense. That's the message from Ontario Police. After they shared how they were called in to, get this, break up a hockey brawl in Simcoe, Ontario, over the weekend. But it wasn't the kids who were fighting Brett McGarry. No. It was... The parents. Of course. Yes.
1: So this was a game. It was the OPP that were called. in. The, the word brawl is the one that they put out in their release. It was a community rink, a peewee hockey game between 11 and 12 year olds and the fight apparently had broken up at the time officers arrived but police say several parents were involved in a verbal altercation that allegedly turned physical and as many as 30 adults were involved and so the police 30 30. so i can see you know i can argue that someone starts yelling and another person yells back and then one person gets in and then someone feels like they've been pushed the next thing you know that spouse steps in to say don't push my wife and before you know it you've got a brawl on your hands but what did it start with what happened that made you think you had to yell out?
2: Well, I don't know. In a lot of cases, it 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 is exactly what you outline, the things that you're trying not to do. It's a parent yelling at a ref, taking liberties and yelling at a kid on the other team. And then the parents start to give the evil eye and the daggers back and forth. And the evil eye turns into quips back and forth and yelling back and forth. And then before you know it, somebody's nose-to-nose, and then when, well, of course, when uh, Brett's nose-to-nose with Buddy from the other team, I got to have his back. Yep. And one punch gets thrown or one shove, and that's exactly how it starts. But it genuinely starts with this whole idea, in my mind, that everybody's kid is the next Austin Matthews or the next Patrick Liney or the next Wayne Gretzky. I, I, like, just, you know, back it off a little bit. You're, I know your kid is good in your eyes, but, like, seriously, do you not remember what sports were like when you were a kid? Sometimes you trip a kid. That's
1: just it. I think part of the problem, and if you talk about 12- and 13-year-olds, I'd like to think you'd have a bit of better of, of hockey <clears throat> sense, but I've even seen it at the younger level where I'm surprised at how mad some of some of the parents have gotten over, you know, perceived tripping or hitting, and at, at the kids, my le- the level my kids are currently playing that some of the kids on their team are still don't stand up well on skates, right? And so, are you really? Do you really think that there was intent to harm there, or is it possible that kid fell down and, and knocked your kid over, or are they just learning the game and yeah, they trip somebody, but again, they're not trying to cause an injury; they're just trying to do what they think is the right thing within the context of the game, right? And so there's this, there's also, I think, a lack of just calm down, everybody's doing their best out there. You should do your best as a parent.
0: Well, if you want to read more on this, you can read the headline, Large Brawl Involving Parents Draws Police to Ontario Hockey Arena on our 680 CJOB Instagram. If you follow us on Instagram and where we like to tell you what is coming up throughout the morning, we were going to tell you in this time slot about a student who thought her apartment was haunted. Turns out a man was hiding in her closet and wearing her clothes. You can read that story if you go to our Instagram, and we'll hopefully have time to share that with you throughout this morning. But we're calling an audible... Or I suppose, what would be the hockey equivalent of an audible? Now right? We're going to call it
2: Yeah, we're going to change the strategy a little bit. We're going to rework the power play. Works for me. <laughs> Peter Woods joining us from Hockey Manitoba.
8: Peter, thanks for taking some time with us. Yeah, no problem, guys. I might go with line change, but uh, audible or uh, power play are good. <laughs> uh,
2: okay, line change. See, that's why we bring the real hockey guy <laughs> on to to set us straight here. Uh, I think I think you know why we wanted to talk to you today. Just in general terms, we we heard that story out of out of Ontario where our parents got. Got caught up in the, in the excitement of it all, and uh, that's maybe giving them the easy way out. A brawl reported in a community in Ontario OPP saying that up to 30 people were involved following a peewee game at the Talbot Gardens in Simcoe. This is peewee is 11 and 12 year old kids, uh, Peter. So in a general sense, is, is this something we're seeing more of or less of?
8: Oh, I think this is an anomaly, but uh, I, I know we've been experiencing some cold weather here in Winnipeg, and maybe they're experiencing the same in Toronto, and they they don't ha- handle it quite as well. I know Simcoe is a little ways out of uh, the center of the universe there in Toronto, but uh, that's not something that we expect from any parents who are involved in hockey.
1: Do we track these kinds of incidents in Manitoba in terms of you know reports? What kind of reports do you get from different leagues uh, about parent behavior behavior or yelling at the refs or other?
8: Well, fortunately, we don't have to track that because we don't seem to have that many incidents. There's, uh, I mean, the game is uh, certainly people that follow it and are involved in it are very passionate about the game of hockey. It's uh, it's part of the culture in Canada. Um, You know, we've taken steps here to introduce programs with. uh, you know, with uh, the risk uh, uh, in in sport, uh, uh, respect in sport, I'm sorry, uh, program that uh, each parent that has a kid that plays minor hockey has to take, uh, is responsible for taking uh, certifying in that particular course. So I think steps like that have certainly helped to reduce any type of incidents like that happened just recently in Ontario.
1: Do we still have police officers or a special constable who's been involved in the games? I know a few years ago that the Winnipeg police had an officer that would kind of, you know, go from rink to rink to check in and kind of be that presence, that uh, voice of reason just in case things got a little too tense.
8: I don't think that's in full operation that it was in the, a couple of years ago in the city of Winnipeg. And that program was exclusive to Winnipeg. Uh, you know, I think it was, uh, it was a, it's a bit of a pilot project. And I, I know it certainly was successful, but uh, I'm not uh, quite sure if that has been maintained to the same level that it was in previous seasons.
1: I do want to ask, and, and I'm a hockey mom, so I will, will admit to that. And I'm a proud one. And I like to keep my emotions in check when I can. But I have seen and witnessed behavior at rinks, even at a very young age. Uh, it might not just be the parent yelling at each other it's, it's too often in my opinion parents yelling at referees who are also children in many cases 12 and 13 year olds reffing the game do you find that to be a, a concern peter
8: Oh, it's always a concern, and uh, it's quite surprising for myself. I have a myself from that, and I had kids that went through the program as well, and I I quite, I still don't quite understand it. I, I understand that people get excited and everything, but at the same time, I think you have to control your emotions. I think you have to be a good a role model for your kids, and uh, any type of behavior like that is totally unacceptable.
0: If you, as a parent, are at a game and you see another parent getting a little out of control, what should you do as that observing parent.
8: Well, I think it's important you identify that, and uh, you know, in a calm manner that you approach that particular program. Certainly, or that parent, if if you do know that individual, and and uh, that's a responsibility also of the coaching staff that may needs to identify that at the front end of the season that the behavior that's expected from all their members, whether that's a player. Or, Uh, a coach or even the parents that are involved in the game.
2: And now uh, I know there was a minor hockey association on the West coast. I think it was in Victoria several years ago, took a fairly unprecedented uh, move or made the decision to ban parents from the, from the actual barn area of the arenas uh, for parts of one season, not that long ago. And we were mentioning the referees. The referees have the power to expel parents and, and quote-unquote, fans from the viewing area, do they not?
8: Yeah, they certainly do, and that's certainly unfortunate if if somebody gets into a situation where they're disrespectful, unruly, and you have to eject them from the game. But I think you need to identify that uh, the large majority, uh, and I am speaking a large majority of our parents are, are, are very engaged in the game and very respectful and are great role models. And if we don't have parents, we don't have a sport. So uh, uh, sometimes, you know, there's a few at, uh, bad apples out there, taint the good parents, which is really unfortunate because uh, the vast majority of the parents uh, do an excellent job and are great role, role uh, models.
2: We were talking off air. There's a parallel in my mind. When you're out for dinner and you're receiving bad service at a restaurant, it seems as though it's inevitable that the stories about the bad service you had the last time you were out start circulating the table, and that becomes the prominent conversation. I think that's what happens in situations what happened in Ontario is that this is in the spotlight, and then people go, "Yeah, I remember the time this, I remember the time that.
8: Yeah, I guess maybe there was a few parents that went out to a restaurant before the game that it, uh, that uh, <laughs> that escalated the situation. But uh, no, uh, you're correct. I mean, sometimes when you focus on the negative, that seems to be the the only thing that uh, happens to be the story and gains a little bit of traction there. So it's uh, again, it's it's very unfortunate. Uh, I'm sure the parents, and upon reflection, are are probably embarrassed on on what happened, and I don't think they want to see themselves in the national news. And uh, hopefully, this is uh, just a one-off, and we won't see a repeat of this situation anywhere.
0: Peter Woods is executive director with Hockey Manitoba, joining us live on the start. Peter, thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Ed. We are also talking a moment ago, well, a moment ago, half hour ago or so, on how Facebook now has an unsend feature on their messages. And I just wanted to tell you how it works before we turn to Reggie Cicchini on the State of the Union. I tried it out with somebody sent a message and then deleted it to see what would happen. And I got, a, so they sent a screenshot back and it, so if you send somebody a message on Facebook messenger and then delete it in the 10 minute window, they still get a notification that says Brett removed a message. I'm not sure that I like that. No, it I seems, mean, it kind of, kind of defeats the purpose. Makes it
1: worse almost because yeah. are they not going to phone you up and be like, what did you send?
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and you then say? you can
1: lie, but now it just becomes a whole tangled web we weave.
0: Yeah. If you're going to include an unsend feature, just have it so that you can delete the message like it never happened.
1: It could be like, I didn't just tell you I loved you at 3 a.m. Don't worry about it. Because
0: sometimes it happens where you get on where on Facebook, uh, you might get the notification that somebody commented on a post and then you go to try to read it and it says can't load right. because they've deleted it. But then you wonder, well, did they delete it or is it just a glitch? Because sometimes there are bugs in the system. But yeah, I don't like this. So yeah, and especially as you pointed out, depending on the time that you sent the message, what were you trying-
1: is either rude or something too open or, you know.
2: You're not really deleting it. You're you're leaving a digital footprint and one that might be larger than the message you originally sent.
0: Yeah, like if I send a message at 3 a.m. and then delete it, there's a good chance that the message probably sent... Hey, what are you doing right now?
9: <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: dear! <laughs> and know we'll leave it at that. Yes, please.
9: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I'm gonna leave my phone on on weekends from now on, just in case well, I get a text about, message from Brett.
1: It's what's open for interpretation, which is what everyone's doing this morning when we when they kind of take a look at what the president of the United States had to say during the State of the Union address. What was he saying? What are we fact-checking? And and what was behind some of those uh, scowls and different faces that were being made in the crowd? I just want to play a clip first before we bring in Reggie.
6: The president of the United States!
9: An economic miracle is taking place in the United States, and the only thing that can stop it are foolish wars politics, or ridiculous partisan investigations.
2: Nothing innocuous about that statement. Reggie Giacchini joins us from Washington now. And Reggie, there was some hidden language and not so hidden language in last night's State of the Union Address.
7: Absolutely, but when you start with that comment that he made about partisan investigations right off the top, you could see Nancy Pelosi kind of put her face down, close her eyes, shake her heads a little bit, because this was a very Nixon-style thing to do. It was a very unprecedented moment for somebody uh, giving a State of the Union address to basically look at Congress and say, look, I know half of you are in charge right now. Just stop what you're doing when it comes to me.
1: He actually went on to say something like, if there's going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and an investigation. It doesn't work that way. We must be united to defeat people abroad. So he's kind of like saying, like, leave it alone because you're, you're just making it worse.
7: Well, he's basically saying, look, the number of investigations that are going on with me uh, when it comes to the special counsel, when it comes to you as Congress members, when it comes to people like the Southern District of New York, which have nothing to do with last night's State of the Union, it's getting in the way of my administration's co- accomplishments and future plans. So again, we're kind of kind of need you to step down a little bit, uh, which is why you heard some of those jeers from members of Democrats and some applause from members of Republican side.
2: So what in, in- Essence and, and what did we genuinely hear with regards to this border wall? Because it came up more than once. It was shrouded in other language. It, it seemed to be the focus of the speech without necessarily being uh, mentioned directly every single
7: time, Reggie? Absolutely. We knew that this was going to be a big focus for this speech. We knew that he had help from one of his closest aides in the White House, who's got a hard line when it comes to uh, when it comes to immigration. And what we basically heard from the president last night was a greatest hit uh, number from what we've been hearing basically since he was on the campaign trail. Immigration, we need to curb immigration. He says he wants people to come into the United States, yet his administration is doing what it can. And to make asylum even uh, difficult for, for people to, uh, to to go for. Uh, we heard him kind of over-inflate and trump up some numbers when it comes to immigration with the number of uh, people that are arrested. He said something along the lines of tens of thousands, up to hundreds of thousands of arrests are made at the southern border. While some of this may be true, it's exaggerated because some of the arrests that are being made are for nonviolent crimes or for traffic violations or for small drug violations. So the president used the opportunity to talk about immigration on the southern border basically to gear it towards that 40% who have been with him from the beginning
2: and he doubled down on that human trafficking story that has been shot down all over the place but he but he told it again last night with regard to how women are being brought into the United States uh, you know in, in basically in the middle
7: of nowhere. Absolutely. He did, uh, he did take out the whole duct tape part, which has been kind of disproven over and over again. He didn't include that in his speech last night. But yes, he did say this whole uh, sex trafficking thing and human trafficking thing comes from these uh, these caravans that get into buses and trucks and make their way up to the border. It's mostly exaggerated. Yes, there is unfortunately some human trafficking that takes place. But again, most of these people are, It's 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 rare for all of them to be using these kind of wide open swaths of area where there is no border. Most of the people trying to get into the United States, again, do it the legal way and try to seek asylum and they go through a legal port of entry
1: he also made no mention if I'm right last night of what was the longest shutdown government shutdown in US history and we still kind of have that deadline on the table I think it's eight days from now Reggie where we have eight. to move things forward or that yeah. we're going to be back at square one
7: it's nine days from now. It's February 15th when the next government shutdown may take place and yeah, there are 800,000 government workers and hundreds of thousands of more government contractors who were watching last night either waiting for the president to say, look, I'm sorry that you went through this. This was my fault. I should have signed off on these deals back in December to avoid all of this. He didn't mention any of that. He didn't mention anybody whose hardships were felt because they didn't get any kind of paycheck, nor did he mention the fact that if he doesn't get the money for that border wall, we could be back in that exact same situation on February 15th. of Avoiding the scandal that he just had. Avoiding having to say he caved to the Democrats. And avoid saying that, well, if this doesn't happen again, or if I don't get my money, rather, this is going to happen again.
0: Global's Reggie Cicchini joining us live from
2: Washington, D.C. The day after the State of the Union address. Reggie, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. It was also very obvious that the president stayed on message and did not really stray at all from what was on his teleprompter. Although there were a couple of times, Loren, where he sort of cheered himself and went... Oh, yeah, that is a good idea.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or you can see him in that clip we played. It's worth watching, not just to see Pelosi's reaction, but he's doing this slow turn. Like, he doesn't want to look directly at her to be like, that's a shot at you, lately, lady. But he kind of does this, like, mm-hmm, like, thing going on. Like, it's the facial expressions are hilarious. <laughs>
0: Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for sticking with us here on CJOB, and we were Talking earlier about Regent and Lajamodier being one of the busiest, if not the busiest intersection in Winnipeg. Greg, you did some Google foo What did you yep, find? Yeah,
2: 90,000 vehicles per day pass through Lajamodier Boulevard and Regent Avenue. It is the busiest intersection in Winnipeg by a considerable amount, actually. Moray Street and Portage Avenue, one of our listeners, just texted in and say, I think that's the busiest. It is, in fact, second with 83,000 vehicles per day and then... You might have imagined Portage and Maine is in the mix. It's at number three with 81,000 vehicles per day.
1: Now, those are the busiest, but the ones with the most crashes are often different, too. You can have a lot of cars moving through an intersection, but it's still relatively safe. Whereas I know several times over the past few years, Keniston and McGillivray has topped the list for or been on the top five for crashes, right? So that's something to always consider. You might have a lot of volume, but for whatever reason, people drive through it more safely or...
0: What do you think it is about Keniston and McGillivray? Because that's a heavily controlled intersection, and it's not when you approach it. You know what, like there's turning signals, and it's 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 similar, really, in appearance to a place like Regent and Lajamodier.
2: So. Yeah, I'm just I'm just imagining uh, with regards to you've got multiple turning lanes at certainly at both of those. Um, intersection, and what I mean multiple, more than one lane t- making those left-hand turns, which are the most dangerous yep. uh, left-hand turns, and I think at Region and lage on all four corners, if not three of them, you have double turning lanes. I think the only one you may not is uh, eastbound region at Lage, or is it a double? No, I think it's, it's a double, double as well. Yeah. So it's probably double at all four. And at Moray and Portage, you would have just a situation where you probably have a double at three of the uh, mm-hmm. four uh, points of entry into that intersection. Yeah, McGilvery and Keniston probably some who knows what it is well, it could that, be the turn lanes are short there like uh, the turning the, the time that's and, what I was going to uh, say I signals. think that when
1: you're going to go laugh people are 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 basically running a light yeah and then the oncoming traffic uh would collide with that also on that list though is regularly Lamoier and Regent It's just not quite it's in the top five but never at the top so I don't know it's busy out there it's wet it's slippery
0: and Tim is suggesting higher speed at McGilvery well I guess McGillivray, yeah, that's right, because it's 80 on Keniston, and uh, coming from McGillivray would be 80 as well, whereas Regent is 60, and Lajmodier is 80. Although, no, it's 70 when you approach the intersection, right? 70
2: there, yeah, and I think McGillivray's slightly slower when you get into that commercial area. But, yeah, higher speeds, for sure. I think the traffic signals have a lot to do with those uh, intersection collisions, because traditionally, A... Those lights are not long enough. B the yellow, we've had the conversation about the amber and the high speed areas is whether or not they're they're long enough. So you don't have that situation at Moray and Portage mm-hmm. because it's probably fifty southbound and sixty east and west and, and sixty northbound coming off the off the bridge coming from Charleswood there. So all all sorts of I'm just issues say, we could talk about it for three hours, have a scotch and a cigar <laughs> and no, and so- we still wouldn't be any further ahead. It's it's fun to noodle, though.
1: But the situation today is pretty much just go with all intersections are garbage, garbage, slippery, dangerous, and while we're at it, we've had so many people writing this morning to say, people, your lights aren't on, so keep your lights on, and clear the snow off your car because that's causing, it's blowing around and causing and that makes me so angry when I get hit with that brush of snow from somebody else and you have that two-second whiteout on your windshield because someone just didn't Didn't bother to take the time to wipe off their car.
2: Have you seen the video on Twitter or on social media, Canadian Road Rage? And it's someone pulls up in a line of traffic and the individual ahead of them doesn't have their back window brushed off and the guy gets out, brushes it off for them (laughs) and gets back in his car. Really? (laughs) Yes. It's a pretty popular one over the last few weeks for sure.
0: One other note as well we had listeners suggesting there could be issues with traction control. If you have a vehicle that has traction control and if it's like mine, traction control is on as a default but i can disable it and i didn't know that turning it off could help you get more traction there was a there was an instance uh, i want to say 6 years ago and we had uh, a weird snowfall where the snow was it was really thick but it was also it was kind of coarse like like sand it was sort of reminiscent of the beginning of the blizzard in 96 i don't know if you remember that but like it's just It's really hard to get traction in it, and it just kind of clicked. I remember I heard it on this radio station, actually. If you find yourself stuck in snow, turn off the traction control and give that a shot, and sure enough, turn it off. Boom, I was out. Interesting.
1: People don't know. I think they really have no clue. It's like when you buy a new car and it has all these features, and you're like, I'll just figure them out as I go. Well, some of them are really debilitating. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, it's like the headlights, right? We're talking so many people don't have their taillights on right now. How many of you think you're in auto mode for your headlights, which means your taillight should be on automatically when it's dark enough, etc., or all the time and it's not? Mm-hmm. I know somebody that we used to work with here. Used to follow him into the station all the time and go, you know your taillights are I can't figure that thing out and show them how to fix it. And then sure enough, a few days later. Tail lights aren't on again. So uh, the 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 simpler things get, sometimes the more
0: complicated they become. We had a text message from Rob saying stuck on Keniston, going north, forty minutes to get from Taylor to Corden. Pardon oh, me.
1: That's what is that? Four blocks Taylor yeah, to Corden. It was
0: I'll... Taylor Grant Corden. Holy.
6: That's awful.
0: Construction trailer in curb lane between Grant and Corden.
2: So, oh my god. Just wait. Just wait until they expand Route 90. It'll be a nightmare for about two years Yeah, while the construction goes on, and until things get better. I was through there on Saturday to go to the Outlet Mall, and all I could think about was all that money they're going to spend on widening Route 90 from Ness down to Taylor, And what a bottleneck it's still going to be from Ikea all the way down till the flyover at McGilvery there, or Bishop Grandin and and Route 90 south. I don't know. It's going to be a ton of money to fix that stretch, only to have another bottleneck uh, about a kilometer or two south of it. I think we're looking at like two decades before we get that all sorted out, if we ever do. Yeah. Trade one headache for another. I suppose, yeah. So
0: thanks for that note, Rob. Much appreciated. And we also had a picture that somebody sent to you, McNabb. It's a picture of a, a truck that's covered in snow, and it's uh, somebody saying this guy driving through the Oakenwald School parking lot before nine a.m., then heading to Pemina Highway with just the windshield barely clean.
2: Oh my word! Forget Can't the windshield.
0: Imagine.
1: So the windshield's not clean. The side, the two side windows aren't clean, and there's probably what would you say, two, three inches of snow on the roof. So like, they're just they did the bare. Bear, you know, minute, you know when it's extremely cold and you scrape the part where your eyes are going to peek out, and you create like a balaclava window. Yeah, is that what you call a snowmobile?
2: That's <laughs> or mobile snow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's brutal, and I wonder. I like that, the bella clava window. I, I I will admit to having done that sometimes where I'm too lazy to scrape the window, so I just wait for it to defrost, and mm-hmm. then I've just got this little thing where I have to hunch <laughs> exactly. over. I'm like a hunchback at my steering steering wheel, so unsafe in yeah, we've hindsight. I've all done that. But in, I kind of, not to the extent of the, the picture we just received, but I sort of had a moment like that today when I was clearing my snow off, and I got to a point where I just said, yeah, it's good enough. The wind will take the rest of it. I just couldn't be bothered to do like there was at least a quarter of my car that still had snow on it, and I just said forget it.
1: I had that yesterday. I was telling you guys as I left Polo Park here, and I cleaned the front, and I and I lazily rolled down the windows to get the snow off the other one. <laughs> and hope it doesn't all tip in. <laughs> I hope it doesn't tip in. And then the back one, like the side back, wasn't done, and I started to back out, and then I paused and it was like. I would hate me if I saw this like if I was another driver I would be shaking my fist at me so hard so I stopped and I wiped it off and it takes two seconds
2: yeah. you didn't do it because it was the right thing nope, to do agreed. you didn't want to be shamed embarrassed and you just didn't want to be that I didn't person. want to be
1: hypocritical because sure. I have for sure on a daily basis probably been like look at that idiot <laughs> and then, like, that person would be thinking the same thing about me, so...
0: Well, it is funny how that mentality shifts. The, the, a similar comparison could be drawn to your mentality when you're a driver and getting angry at pedestrians. And then the moment you get out of your car in the parking lot, right. you become the pedestrian who's angry at the drivers. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, just pause and think for a second, like, where, what side of the fence were you on yesterday? And now that you're on the other one, does it mean someone's not thinking the same thing about you?
0: Liam Neeson, yesterday, we learned that he made really just a stunning, stunning revelation in an interview with The Independent. He's promoting his new film out this weekend called Cold Pursuit. He plays a guy whose son is killed, and he goes on a revenge hunt. He just needs to avenge the death of his son. Getting good reviews, from what I can tell, which I actually found surprising. I thought this movie's getting buried in February. It's just another mindless Liam Neeson action movie. It's going to get terrible reviews because he's had some bad movies in recent years, but this one looks pretty good. But they asked him about how do you tap into the need to act out to portray that primal urge for vengeance, and then he says, well, you know what? Something like this actually happened in my life, and then the... There was this massive blowback, backlash against him for it. So he went on Good Morning America yesterday, and first he recaps what he told The Independent.
9: I remembered an incident nearly 40 years ago where a very dear friend of mine was brutally raped. And I was out of the country, and when I came back, she told me about this. And she handled the situation, herself and her rapist, incredibly bravely, Mm -hmm. I have to say that. But I had never felt this feeling before, which was a primal urge to lash out. I asked her, did you know the person? It was a man. No. Uh, His race, she said he was a black man. I thought, OK. And after that, there were some nights I went out deliberately into black areas in this city, looking to be set upon so that I could unleash physical violence. And I did it for, I'd say, maybe four or five times until I caught myself on. And it really shocked me, this primal urge I had. It shocked me, and it hurt me.
0: Now, he didn't use the quote in in conversation with Robin Roberts at Good Morning America yesterday. The quote that he gave to the Independent was that he went out looking for a black B-A-S-T, fill in the rest, and that was the quote that people latched onto and said, well, he's a racist. And on the subject of targeting a black
6: man. When asking your friend that you asked about color, that you didn't ask the person was tall or yes, short, yes. big or small. That oh, you immediately I, I did went actually. To race. I,
9: I asked all those questions to you. I did, I did. But I did ask about race. Yeah.
6: Because the, what we what we heard and saw was it was only asking about yeah, color. I, you I, did I, ask about other aspects. I, Would you have had the same reaction if your friend had said it was a white man? Would you wanted to go no, out and kill? Oh, definitely.
9: She just said an Irish or a Scot, or a Brit, mm-hmm. or a Lithuanian, I would. I know I would have had the same effect. I was trying to show honour to my stand-up for my dear friend in this, in this terrible medieval fashion.
0: So that's why he felt like he had to come on and, well, not felt like he had to come defend himself. He revealed that this thing happened in the past, and she told him it was a black person who did this, so he just went out looking for a a black person to unleash this violence that he was talking about. He says he did seek help when he finally came back down to earth. He sought the help of a priest and a couple of his close friends to try to snap him out of this sort of dark side, because it sort of shocked him and scared him, even thinking about it, never mind actually going out and actively looking to be violent on four or five occasions. Uh, And when she asks him what is the teachable moment...
9: Robert, you tell me what the teachable moment is. Please, I'm I'm gonna throw it back at you.
6: I think the teachable moment is that we have to own up to when we, the the one point that I wanna make out is that this wasn't discovered by somebody. You admitted this. This isn't a gotcha, this isn't like, oh. So I give you credit there. But also having to acknowledge that the hurt even though it happened decades ago, the, the hurt of, of an innocent black man knowing that he could have been killed yes, yes. for something he did not do yes, because of the color know. of his skin. No.
9: Or people, and they could have killed me too.
0: So we've been talking a lot this morning about Facebook and their new feature, how you can unsend a message. And clearly I'm sure he wishes he could unsend that message, at the very least omit that detail about right. the race, because right. really it's not not relevant to the fact that he just wanted to go out and seek vengeance for his friend.
1: If we're taking what, what he said at face value, it's not relevant. And I like to believe in the comment when he said it could have been Irish, could have been Scottish, could have been Lithuanian. Yeah, but how
2: do you drive around at night looking for a, you know a Scottish or an Irish? For sure. Can't, so I'm just the, you know, the visible minority or visible. Uh, dis, the fact that somebody has different color skin than you obviously. That, that's a game changer in terms of his pursuit of his personal justice, right. correct?
1: And then—so what I'm—we have to take it at face value that that's the honest feeling he was thinking at that moment, and, and I'd like to believe that, and I, and I think I do. And I also would say she made a great point of saying— um, you chose to talk about this. This isn't a gotcha mm-hmm. moment. This wasn't a thing that was you've been trying to hide. Or maybe it is a thing he's been embarrassed about or worried about or stressed about for decades. And that was kind of like a—you made that point yesterday, Greg, where he— unleashed himself. Maybe he's yeah, been just holding more, on to that yeah. feeling of shame and I can't even believe I let my mind go down that road of not just targeting someone but possibly contemplating murder to get revenge, right? So I think those are so many interesting conversations from him. But his red carpet appearance has been cancelled for this week from when the movie comes out. Fans are calling for his name to be removed from, is it International, the Men in Black film that's uh, making rounds on social media? Like, there's just all sorts of people saying
2: that they're mad about it still. And so... I, I don't know what the teachable moment is here. Good Morning America had him on. It was Robin Roberts, the black woman who interviewed him. She expressed she's got a, obviously got an, a, a unique perspective versus any of the the white hosts they might have on Good Morning America. Does he get the opportunity, or should he continue to get the opportunity to try and explain this? Or have we heard enough to understand and and to make those demands for his names name to be removed or his his appearances to be canceled? Where do you stand on mm-hmm. this?
0: I think that I've heard enough. He may, he he made a comment. He told a story about something that he was feeling forty years ago, and to assume that the man has not changed or evolved in four decades, I think, would be foolhardy because I think we've all. Changed some of the way we think about things, even in the last five years. Never mind the last forty years. Uh, I, I used to say things when I was a teenager or a kid that I would never even consider saying now, because that's just what was normal or acceptable. Not that it ever was acceptable, but you know what I mean. And uh, in this case, he was his rage was was it on behalf of his friend and he came on he put himself on good morning america he didn't have to he could have just gone into hiding and said to hell with all of you but he came out and spoke to robin roberts i think he was honest so i believe what he has to say i know people are going to be mad and and you can't do anything about that but i'm okay with I'm at peace with uh, with what Liam Neeson, with the explanation he has provided.
1: But we, I, I, don't, I don't want to assume what you've been through in your life, but I personally have never been targeted for anything because of the color of my skin. And so if you're someone out there who is an African-American who is sitting there thinking, like, I have been uh, stopped by police or people have assumed I'm in the store about to rob because of just by the very nature of how I look, then you're already feeling certain things that I can't even... I can try to relate to you, but I can't. And so those emotions are heightened, I I think, for a lot of people too. And so when they hear about the idea, again, I understand what Liam, I think, was saying about revenge for his friend and not revenge on a person or type of person. But if you're on the other side of that where you have been unfairly targeted just by the very nature of how he were born, then that's, that's a hard thing to hear.
2: Well, and if you're someone who denies the idea that this can happen, that you can be misidentified simply because police or a bounty hunter or Liam Neeson is looking for someone and the best description that they have is that he's a black male, you can understand and go... Yeah, I felt like that's the only reason I've ever been stopped by the police was because that's who they were looking for. They had no other clue. They had nothing else other than the color of my skin and my gender.
1: But th- that, yeah, there's a bigger conversation so justifies there. justifies
2: that, 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 that feeling that, that those people in those communities have been feeling for a long time. It, it, in fact, justifies that to say, see, that's that's what happens to us.
0: Yeah, and it would also be different for me as well if he had actually gone out and exacted the violence he was looking for. He said he went looking out to be set upon. He didn't find anybody who set upon him. Good point. And so there was no violence. He said nothing happened. No, he didn't hurt anybody. He wasn't hurt. He and was I, looking for someone to come after him. It never happened.
1: Didn't he go, and I think he said he went into the area to which the attack happened. Like he was trying to be as specific as possible to respond to the rape of his friend. And yeah. so again, it wasn't just a general, like I'm going to walk into a crowd in the first guy I see is going to get beat down.
2: I, there's, that, that's a good point as well.
1: I also will say I admire anyone who just talked about it willingly like he did and then came back on Good Morning America to talk about it and asked her, what do you want me to learn from this? Help me help you kind of thing. Like uh, all those things are decent traits. And
2: there's certainly no audio. There's certainly no audio of Liam Neeson going, uh... Don't uh, don't spread that audio. He, he he certainly was in a position where he could have attempted to appeal to the individual he was doing the interview with. Don't share that with anyone. He didn't do any of that. Don't get this PR person to call that person right. the next
1: day and say, please, God, don't don't. I'll give you 25 passes to the film or whatever to not run it.